Welcome to the Law of Startups Podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us. Uh, today we have on our show Forrest Gibson. Uh, Forrest is a uh, crowdfunding uh, guru of some sort. So Forrest, thank you for uh, being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So talk to us. Talk to us about, uh, about crowdfunding, Forrest. You've been involved in some of the great crowdfunding campaigns in this area in Seattle. Uh, tell us about them. Um, okay, so going, let me just kind of start at the beginning. Um, started with uh, doing a, po- I, I actually did a crowdfunding campaign for my uh, web series, uh, Job Hunters. And so that's kind of the very, very first kernel of learning what crowdfunding was and diving in. Um, and then going on to do the second one for that. So the first one raised $10,000. The second one was fifty. Um, and then through a series of other videos and other things that I was producing, I got looped in into Planetary Resources because they were interested in doing a crowdfunding campaign for their satellite space telescope. Um, and so actually ended up being kind of the creative um, director and, and marketing kind of director for the campaign and uh, ended up raising over a million dollars to crowdfund this, you know, satellite space telescope, as well as creating kind of the product of the um, space selfie. So (laughs) the fact that you could get your own photo uh, sent up to a satellite and then sent back down to you so you could actually see your photo on an actual satellite above the Earth. Um, And then, again, through all these efforts, kind of connected with uh, the folks over at uh, PicoBrew. And they're really, uh, you know, brewing up something really interesting, which was a fully automatic all-grain beer brewing appliance, which is just amazing. And I got, you know, I was kind of sold. I walked in their office and was like, okay, this beer tastes amazing. Like, this was made in this machine. Um, And so got a chance to work with them and to um, really focus on creating a really great video for them to really show off the product and kind of show off how, how, how it's made. Gotcha. Okay, those, so are, the, those are great campaigns. I mean, I've heard of, I've heard of most of those. Um, yeah, that's that's fantastic. The uh, the Pico Brew in particular is pretty cool. I've seen the the videos of that. Um, yeah. So it sounds like is your involvement. You you help with sort of strategy, but it sounds like you also have some video expertise. Um, you help kind of p- put together a video that that helps sell the the project. Is that accurate? So. I, I kind of fell into doing this because it just so happened that all of the things that I was learning to do leading up to this point became crowdfunding. So going back um, before any of this, it was I was doing marketing um, and I was working with brands to help market their products. I, I worked with Coca-Cola pushing you know their products to college students. Um, I also saw so I was working directly with, with college students and through my own endeavors was, was very um, scrappy. Because a lot of the projects I was doing were like artistic projects, video productions, um, theater productions. So there was this very, you know, this mentality of kind of scrapping things together. Uh, And then you combine that with my experience um, in making videos and and kind of going down this route of making what makes a viral video. So I have a bunch of different YouTube channels that made a bunch of, you know, millions and millions of views on on these videos. um, Almost as an experiment, just see like, can we do it? And so, you know, Kickstarter kind of appeared and we were looking at this thing. And especially when we were looking at our next um, kind of artistic endeavor, we said, wow, this seems like everything that we've been working on all baked into one package of like, how do you do good marketing messaging? How do you identify your audience? How do you create compelling video content? How do you write compelling copy? And then how do you essentially market products in a way that, you know, Kickstarter often breaks out each pledge level into almost its own product. Um, and that that's like, you have to price those things. Now you have to get into pricing and like all those things all came together. Um, and that's really where 
you know, I've helped people. So it's, it's on any one of those levels because I've gotten a chance to dive in and do all of those things. And especially for our own Kickstarter campaigns, I was heavily involved in every bit of that. Yeah, I think, I think for most entrepreneurs, like, so the, the way I've heard Kickstarter come up and, and the way I think about it, it, it tends to emerge early in a project. You've got something you want to build. Um, and, and often it's something you're going to build regardless of whether you raise money on a crowdfunding site. But the question is, so I've got this hardware product or a software product, something I want to build. Um, and your just, your choice is, do I go straight into building it and just spend my own money or raise money? Or should I, should I spend some time going on to Kickstarter and raise money there? And, and, you know, some things are just a perfect fit for Kickstarter, but, but other projects, it seems like you have to kind of weigh it and say, well, is this worth is this worth the effort that it takes to put a Kickstarter together? Um, and um, and it seems like often the answer is yes because you get you know the the bang for your buck and the, the ability to vet the product and get some um, feedback from from people and, and validate the idea early is probably worthwhile. But how, how do you recommend to people when they're when they're kind of evaluating like should I do a Kickstarter campaign or an Indiegogo campaign or should I or is my product maybe not a good fit for it and I should just sit you know, sit back and start working on it and try to try to bring it to market. Um, like what's, what makes, what makes a, a product a good fit for Kickstarter and, and, you know, what kind of advice do you have for people that are in that position trying to decide, should I do it or shouldn't I? So I think there's, you know, the first one is, is do some market research. You know, anyone who's looking to do something, go on to the actual crowdfunding campaign camp, um, sites that you're um, considering and see what's out there. See what people have done. See what people are doing right now. Um, see what's currently active and currently succeeding because these things are at the whim of the crowd. I mean, that they're crowdfunding. And so trends and, you know, what the crowd wants at any given time can shift. So the very first thing you want to do is see what is, what is hot right now, what is working right now, and at what extent is it working? So how, how much money is being raised? If you look at the early days of Kickstarter, the kinds of projects and the amount that they were getting funded was very different than we are today. Um, in the early days of Kickstarter, it was you could have a video of someone just saying, "Hey, I have this idea. I think it's kind of cool. What do you guys think?" And a bunch of people would say, "Oh, that sounds great. You know, let's throw money at you because these are the early adopters of the platform." Nowadays, you look at most of these campaigns, and especially the successful ones, you're looking at highly produced videos. You're looking at highly um, developed products. So these are no longer just ideas. They're often you know, their physical products and especially for the, in, in physical product realm, but like, um, you know, the cooler, the coolest cooler, which was one of the biggest campaigns of all time. I don't remember if it's still the largest, but, um, you know, that was, they had clearly a prototype. They had the thing. There was no mock-ups. There was no like, here's a drawing. It was, we made this apparently. And even that campaign totally flopped because they didn't realize how much it costs to build things. Well, and that's an example from what I understand from what I hear, it's I've heard it's the second largest uh, uh, funding on Kickstarter that they had raised thirteen million dollars to make this cooler, and that I'm not sure I, the 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 news that I heard was that they had basically failed and like weren't going to be able to ship product. But I, I could be wrong. But no, I, yeah, that, that's what I heard that, too. It's, it's basically yeah, that's that's terrible. I mean, so, and that's probably has a really uh, negative impact on on crowdfunding in general, right? Because so many people must have been affected by that if it's the second largest fundraising it seems like a lot of people would have participated and once you're burned once it's kind of hard to get behind another project if, if there's any question about whether it'll actually ship um so does, is the bar a lot higher for people now i mean partly because of that partly just because the 
you know, more people are on the crowdfunding sites. Do you, do you have to, you were saying you can't really come at it with just an idea anymore. You sort of have to show, I guess it's your job to persuade the audience that this thing will actually get built. Right. Is, is that harder totally. now than it was? I think it's a little bit harder. Um, I mean, I think that, that the people who are still on there understand the risks and I think that they're, we're vetting more of those people and, and it's the, as the platforms evolve and as they mature, people are getting a better, you know, better understanding of that. Um, I look at this as, as any sort of new trend, um, any new major set of, of technologies where, you know, I, I often compare this to like, remember the days of eBay when eBay was really cool and everyone was talking about eBay and Weird Al made a song about eBay. Like that was, a, you know, nowadays it's, it's eBay and like, it's kind of the digital garage sale. It's just like, a place. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's just a people, place yeah. and it's not exciting. And you kind of, if you go there, you kind of know what you're going to get and it's evolved. And so I, I think the same thing is, is happening with, with Kickstarter and crowdfunding where, you know what crowdfunding really is? And you know, it's, it's this, it's been this hot new, like digital technology thing. Crowdfunding is people have been doing it for a long time. The Coen brothers did it when they were making their first films. They went door to door and asked people for money. Like, it's just, and they it's actually just now it's film. enabled by technology. So there's just a different, it's, it's, but it's, but it's not a new concept. It's not a new no. concept. So it's about hustling. It's about proving to people that you are worth their time and energy. It is about identifying your actual audience and communicating what it is that you're doing. So one of the biggest challenges is if you look at a product that doesn't work well on, uh, Kickstarter or crowdfunding sites in general is is ideas that are so big that people can't even you know the transformative ideas don't tend to work well because they don't make sense people don't understand what they are yet because if they haven't tried the thing then like they don't know what that thing is they don't know they need it it's got to be so the thing you're selling has to be sort of a logical fit where people you don't have to people don't have to hold it or try it before they understand that they need it it's got to be something that clicks quick more quickly or that they can more easily visualize themselves buying or using. Exactly. I mean, you know, you want to talk about like this this platform, like the the second largest. I mean, again, I last time I checked, the second largest, as you said, the the Kickstarter campaign was for the cooler. Like it's a right. cooler. Yeah, the, who would have guessed? Like, who would have guessed that? You know, of all the things for people to get excited about, it's it, for and for people who haven't seen it, it's it was a cooler with a blender on top, right? It had a it had a, a motorized blender that was powered by a battery. And it had, you know, plugs so you could plug in, I think, devices and it might have had some speakers to play music. Was that does that sound right? Yeah, it was it had ever it had bigger wheels. <laughs> yeah, it had it had all the stuff. It had it had cutlery and like plates built into the top that were not like it was all this stuff. Um and basically what they said is, Hey, you know this thing that you very much know, which is a cooler? We made it better. And that resonated with people because no companies had come in and said we're going to improve coolers because yeah, coolers the last have been time, the same for a long yeah, time. When was the last time someone put out a new something new for coolers? Yeah, and now I wonder what what will happen with it. I mean, so that that project tanked. So will will other cooler companies pick it up and uh, or maybe they already have start incorporating all those ideas into just existing products from companies that actually make coolers so that they actually will hit the shelves. I mean, it's kind of tough. Like if you're in, if you're trying to break into the cooler business, you're trying to compete against people that have probably been making coolers for like forty years. You know, they, they probably know how to get the cost down. They're, they're at full scale, and now you're going to try to break in and compete with them might be kind of tough. I guess they found that out. Um, they did, but, I mean, if they would have, I mean, if they would have, and this is the other big advice I give to people who are looking at doing, especially physical products, but any, any sort of production or product on, on a crowdfunding site, be realistic about cost overruns. 
be realistic about that. And and especially, I mean, you, you talked about it a little bit earlier on is the I the best Kickstarters I've seen and the people that I've seen them do them don't don't like need the money. Mm-hmm. It's not like they, they they wouldn't do this if they didn't have the money. Right. It might change the way they do it. But think of the money as it is it is pre-sales, it is additional, you know, uh, runway, it, it, it's something, but that it's not make or break, we're totally not going to do this if we don't get this. Um, because then you're thinking a very different mentality. Then you're thinking, oh, well, this will help us get to where we need to go, but we still need to go there. So even if you encounter problems, you're not... You're right, not saying, right. well... It's not like you don't oh, have shit. enough money to do it. It's that you didn't raise a bunch of... You know, it, it, if you're already planning to spend the money yourself or you raise the money from other sources, then when you raise the money on Kickstarter, if for some reason it doesn't turn out to be enough, that's sort of still fine. Yeah, and I think that that's actually why I've always been against the Indiegogo partial funding. Mm-hmm. Um, completely. It's, it's, so what's that? Com- that's where you could... If a project doesn't raise its complete amount, but they still get to keep the, the funds. Is that partial funding? Correct. Correct. So um, they and what happens is the Indiegogo takes a higher percentage cut out of that, which makes even less sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's here's this project, here's this thing I want to do and deliver to customers or, or whoever. Uh, I didn't raise enough money to do the thing I said, but I'm still going to take your money. And actually, Indiegogo is going to take more of your money. So I'll get even less wise. than I. <laughs> so I'll get even less. Yeah. And then apparently, I'll still deliver the things I promised to you. Yeah, where's that going to come from, and what happens if it doesn't happen? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So that that to me is where like when when so this goes to kind of uh, you know transitioning to the the amount of money that you're setting for your your goal. Make sure that what you're really doing is you're validating your customers. You're validating why you're doing the thing you're doing, and if you don't get enough of that money, if you don't raise enough, you haven't validated your idea. Right. Like that's that's what this is. It's it's early market validation. It is. I believe this product will sell. I'm going to communicate that message to people. And if you don't sell enough of it, you know it's okay to re- close down and relaunch um, to change expectations to do all sorts of things. That sometimes um, there there are a lot of Kickstarters that will have failed their first time and come back a second time with a lower goal. Mm-hmm. Yet because they already had the the momentum from the first campaign and they learned a lot and did a much better second campaign. They then not only blow past their goal, they blow past their initial goal, the one they had set previously that they didn't succeed at. Hmm. Like, so it's not, it's not like the failure of a campaign is bad. It is you. That's how you learn. Yeah. What people are, what people like and don't like and collect the feedback. It seems like a smart move. Like, um, you know, most, one of the habits I have or bad habits I have with, with, uh, entrepreneurial ideas that I work on, is I tend to want to jump straight into building, and to me, sometimes Kickstarter feels like it's a, it would slow down the process. I'd rather just get it done and out and ask people, you know, ask people for their money when they actually when I actually have something they can buy. Um, but you know, experience has shown that a good percentage of the things that I work on don't always end up being successful, and that's because sometimes I just misjudge what the demand will be out there. Um, and so maybe having Kickstarter be part of your process is just not a bad, not a bad um, check on on that. Just to make sure, you know, hey, yes, launching a Kickstarter campaign is is um, a lot of work, and you got to do it well. But if you know, if you can't sell that, at least it tells you early that the project isn't going anywhere. Uh, maybe saves you from spending time on development. Um, at Kickstarter, one of the things I've I've heard, and I I've, uh, is I, I think most people th- think Kickstarter is easier than it is, and it's from what I understand, it's a pretty time consuming process that 
for this for the whole span of the campaign you're probably going to need to be pretty fully engaged in rallying people's support what's your experience with that for people that have never run a kickstarter campaign like how much work should they expect uh it is a massive amount of work especially when you're running a larger campaign um when working with planetary resources on the ARCID Space Telescope uh, campaign, we had kind of a war room set up where there were pretty much three to four people there full time. Um, I don't know if it was completely around the clock, but it was definitely long hours and, and a lot of time spent. Um, so that was, you know, for a much larger campaign, that, like I said, they're basically three or four full time people. And what are they doing? Uh, like, like, what do they spend their time reaching out to the press? Or are they just trying to write updates and put them on the, you know, to keep funders apprised of what's happening like what are those guys spending their day working on so um especially so during the campaign i mean this is a more than full-time job before the campaign where most of the work happens Mm -hmm. but even during the campaign they're the best campaigns keep constant updates so they're sending out consistent updates that are well written have media video and or photos so that means that they're recording videos that they're um taking photos that they're you know they're doing things like that uh, it means that they're responding to comments. It means that they're engaging people. They're being responsive to people's questions. Um, and based on the feedback, updating updating the, the actual crowdfunding you know, project itself. Oh, people are asking a lot of questions. Maybe we need to clarify this copy to make sure that people understand what it is that we're doing. Um, and then so beyond being production of a whole bunch of assets, being written word, video, and photos – and then being responsive, so actually responding to people's emails, responding to people's requests, all these things. Then being proactive, so if you, you want to actually do better, you want to be reaching out and engaging with external people. So there are, you know, you can't just send, and, and this is my biggest advice to people, you, you can't just send a mass email, and you can't just like mailing list, boom, here you go, Let's unless you already have rabid fans. Yeah, I mean, if you mm-hmm. have rabid fans, if, you, if you're like, I have a million people who just love me and love everything I do, that's different. But if you don't, you need to be sending personalized emails to every person you care about who you want to get engaged or talk about your, your campaign. And this is a lot of time and energy because that's what people respond to. When, mm-hmm. someone, when you're an individual and someone sends you like a press release, you delete that instantly. You're like, I don't care. But if someone addresses you by name and then references something that you've done and says that they appreciate the work that you've done and then say, hey, could you check out the thing I'm doing? Mm-hmm. That's what gets responses and that's what gets engagement. Yeah. And it's time consuming, but but that's what works. Yeah, yeah it's massively time advice. consuming. I mean, how long do you think it would take to write a thousand personal emails? Yeah, I've, I've done it for things that I've launched and, um, you know, where, where every time I write to press, I, you know, I try to, to write to people that I've identified as either have written about things that I've done in the past or, or written about things that are similar. And I, I do the same thing. I always make sure it's clear that the email comes directly from the person who made the thing or who's directly involved that, you know, that it's a, it's not a PR firm that's sending it and try to address it to them by name. But, but I usually end up doing that with maybe 20 people, um, just because, you know, at some point th- those are maybe the people that I feel like are best suited but it takes time and by the time i've done those 20 you know i've kind of burnt through the people that i i know if you had a list of a thousand people that you wanted to reach i could see it taking a really long time yeah and that's i mean the bigger the kickstarter campaign the the higher the expectations on on raising yeah like you're talking like you know maybe a thousand maybe less but it could easily be that many people because unlike just traditional press you're not it's not like you're asking these people every one of these people to write great articles you're literally asking each of these people for money. And so the more people you ask, you'll, you'll have a conversion rate. Maybe yeah, you have a, yeah, you gotta, 5% you a lot of conversion rate. The top of that funnel. 
to see what comes exactly. Out. Yeah. So tell me exactly how I'm trying to think like a. How much harder is it now than it used to be? I, I, I've always thought of Kickstarter. One of the one of the really valuable things about a Kickstarter campaign is that it, it turns your launch of your product or your idea into uh, into something that press are more likely to write about because it it turns this thing from a hey this thing is for sale into like a time sensitive event where people it, it seems like it's easier to get people to write about it because they can tell their readers hey get over here and check this thing out you you there's a call to action you can fund this thing or not. Um, is that still, is it still, uh, I kind of get the impression that it's, it's gotten harder to get that kind of attention. Uh, does Kickstarter still provide a a vehicle for more attention or do you really have to drive it yourself with, uh, with a list or or an existing audience? You know, from what I've seen as Kickstarter has grown, um, you know, so, so have the number of massive number of projects that are on there. Um, looking at the actual numbers of what Kickstarter's impact is, so you get on the front page, you get featured, right? You're talking like maybe a five or ten percent boost. Mm-hmm. Like this, the, everything I've seen, it's it's not like, um, wow, I got featured or I'm like a an edit, editor's favorite that made my campaign. No, I have nobody's not gonna, yet seen that happen. Yep, nothing's going to happen randomly that's going to just break your campaign wide open. Uh, unless you make it happen, maybe on your own. Exactly. Accurate. And, and there, there are times when that, I mean, there are times when those things happen. I don't think that they're based on Kickstarter. They're, they're based on kind of the virality. Like, mm-hmm. what the is ideas the... particularly, yeah, something that people want to spread around. Yeah, and, and sometimes it gets hijacked weird things, like the um, potato salad campaign. Right. Uh, yeah, so for those of you who don't know, there was a highly successful Kickstarter campaign for a guy who was going to make potato salad. <laughs> Um, so he actually made he actually succeeded. This is a campaign that actually fulfilled. Is that is that correct? <laughs> oh, it, it made a it made a ton of money. Um, but but he but his but his, his delivery his delivery was not a, a complex a complex device like a cooler. It was a it was a simple video yeah. of him making a salad. Is that correct? Uh, let's see, potato salad. Um, the title is "I'm making potato salad." Period. Right. Uh, it, the the name of the project is potato salad, and um, let's see. The actual campaign itself, um, he wanted to raise. What does he say? He had a goal of ten dollars. Yeah, and he raised fifty-five thousand dollars. Right. Um, and nice. so yeah, it was just like he was basically he. It was silly at first, and then he took it a little bit more seriously, and then he took some interesting, interesting approaches as to make it a positive thing that wasn't just kind of a joke. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's interesting to study. You know, I mean, this, you would call this a, a very successful campaign, right? I mean, very successful, right? So there's something to be learned from it. It's just, it's just kind of hard, I think, maybe to understand because it sounds like a joke, right? Well, it might have been I successful mean, it because it's a joke. Yeah, it's exactly. Uh, <laughs> the yeah, the way we, you can tell a. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it sounds like we're going to slip into a political talk here, but let's keep going. Sorry, let's focus on Kickstarter. Um, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say, Forrest? Oh, I was just going to say that that I think that the you can tell the maturity of a trend and the maturity of a like you can start telling them that how a trend is maturing based on when parodies start happening of it. Um, so you, I mean, and I, I follow a lot of movie trends and like do predictions around movie trends and like stuff like that. And so it is when you start getting towards the okay, here's these new movies that are coming out, and then now you start getting these parodies and these kind of jokes on these movies. They've clearly like you're kind of at the top of the hump and you're starting to go down because it is popular enough for people to think it's it's worth parodying it. Gotcha. Because if it wasn't popular, there's no reason to parody something that's not popular. 
Right. It's got to be pretty widespread. Like, uh, it's got to be in, in the cultural vernacular to make fun of it. If, if it's not, exactly. if it's not popular enough, it's just the joke won't land. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of, uh, that's where I saw this was like, wow, this is the first person to do a really good parody campaign that was successful. Um, so anyway, that the point being that there is, you know, you don't know if you're going to take some, if you're going to get randomly successful and have some sort of viral hit. Um, that is never a good assumption to make unless you've carefully crafted it and done it yourself. And I have, I have made dozens of viral videos, and I've only made one accidentally, <laughs> and that was the, one of the smallest ones. Tell us about some of the viral videos. I mean, that's uh, you hear, I hear a lot of people say like, "Oh." We're going to create a viral video, and I always kind of roll my eyes because it's not the kind of thing that you can really, uh, you know, generate. You can't you can't manufacture a viral video. But it sounds like you've you've had some pretty good success with it. Like, tell us about some of the some of the. You videos can totally manu- You can totally manufacture it. It is just difficult and not a hundred percent successful. But much like any building a product, it is difficult and not always successful. Um, so we've done a bunch. I mean, the biggest one that we've done is. Um, uh, Basically, it was an iPhone 5 parody, although the, the title's changed. Um, but now it's called the iPhone 7 parody. Uh, it has 11 million views. And um, it was basically when the iPhone 5 came out, um, Apple has a very specific way of talking about their products. And so we parodied that the way that they talked about their products. And because the iPhone 5, the only difference was that it was slightly taller. Like that was like, mm-hmm. that was the, the big thing. It was like, <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was like it's the same width as the iPhone four, but now it's slightly taller. And so we just took a bat and ran with it, and said, "What was? What if it was like two feet long, um, or maybe three feet?" Um, so it's like, what, what happens if it's this ridiculously tall iPhone? Um, and we ran with that. I mean, the, I, I early, early on, some of my first viral videos were parodies of Connect products. Um, we've done so, a lot of music videos, so we did. Um, let's see, uh, NASA. We're NASA, and we know it. Um, which was one we did where we took um, the I'm Sexy and I Know It uh, song and turned it into uh, one about the Curiosity, or NASA and the Curiosity rover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that did really, really well. And, you know, uh, we found out that later that um, before going out on a spacewalk, uh, one of the astronauts was rocking out to, to our song. <laughs> and we actually got got our video. Now it's officially, if you, uh, when, when we Google it, when I go- just Googled it, Googled it now, um, the official NASA version is what came up. So they actually asked if they could get permission to put it up on their website or put it up on their YouTube channel. So I'm looking at the NASA YouTube channel and they have our video on it, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, that um, is awesome. I've seen that video. It's funny. It's uh, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty cool story with them kind of, um, you know, adopting it. But that's, and that's, you know, we did this for many reasons at the time, especially we were doing videos and some of the guys who were involved, um, a, co- a production company called Cinosaurus, uh, they do, uh, they do video production, and so what what it ended up being is they were manufactured videos to show off our ability to make videos, um, and it worked. And you know, I got person, but we all got work with NASA, so we were working with NASA to help them produce videos. Um, pretty much every time we've you know done one of these videos, we get a bunch of incoming you know leads about people wanting to oh wow I want a video like that kind of thing. So yeah. They are possible to manufacture, but you have to start with the I want to manufacture it instead of I have this idea, I hope it goes viral, and then go there. Mm-hmm. The idea has to be like uh, worked. You have to you have to be coming at it from the viral 
uh, goal from the beginning. You can't like shoehorn something that isn't viral and, and then somehow make it viral. You got to think totally. think about the idea as a whole. How how about and videos it, on Kickstarter? So what's what are you what's your advice from the various campaigns you've run about? You know, should should people be hiring a firm to work on the video? Should they be doing it themselves and making it look more personal? How, how long is a good length? Um, you know, videos are, are extremely important now, right? Like it's pretty hard to launch a successful campaign without a decent video. Um, yeah, videos are, are, yeah, videos are really important to Kickstarters, especially the more complex they are, the more important they are. Um, videos, I mean, they do a couple things. And, and when I talk to people about it, it's depending on, on the, what, you know, there's a couple questions to ask yourself. What is the, what is the product? So how easily and quickly can you describe what the product is? Um, you know, for example, the pota- I'm looking at it now because uh, it's on my screen. Uh, the potato salad Kickstarter campaign didn't have a video because it's a potato salad, and that was a fine because that was ridiculous and silly. Um, but when you start talking about like, look at planet the Arcid Space Telescope, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of nuance to what they were doing. So it was really important to have a video that clearly describes what is going on. Um, the next thing about videos that is really important is to think about what is the what is your credibility as the creator and what is the risk associated with this product. Um, so someone can look at this and from a, from a layman's perspective say, how hard is this thing to do? And if you come out and say, we're going to build a satellite space telescope and we're going to send a satellite into space, that's going to be on the highest end of hard, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's on the highest end of hard, you need to vet yourself. You need to have people, you need to show your credibility. You need to show that you are the right people to do this job and to get people to trust that you're the right people to do this job, especially if they've never met you before. So um, what I like to, I've kind of been saying, um, I said throughout the campaign a lot was needing to build ultra credibility that if someone's looking at this video, they need to say, wow, these are the only people who can do this thing. Because why else would I give them my own money with no expectations of them actually ever being able to deliver it? Um, for example, the Reading Rainbow one, right? Mm-hmm. So Reading Rainbow um, did a Kickstarter campaign, and it was massively successful, right? Um, and the thing with Reading Rainbow is, what would what do you need to have ultra credibility with Reading Rainbow? You need LeVar Burton. Like... That's the only way you can do that. And that's <laughs> yeah. the only way you build up the credibility. And that's what they did. And it was LeVar Burton who drove it. And he was the, he was the face of it. And he was, he's what really made this campaign possible. Um, so that's, it's things like every time that there's a, there's often like um, kind of spiritual reboots of games. So it's like not actually official IP, but it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is basically a, a sequel, but it's not. Mm-hmm. What you need to do is say, you know, this many members of our team were the ones who made that game you like. Like, we we are the ones who made that game. We just don't own the IP of the new. You know, we don't own the IP anymore. So here's all the reasons that you should trust us. Between us, we've made a thousand games, and a hundred of those games you like, or something. Um, so it's really about the video is often about um, ultra credibility, and then it's about being personal. It's about being someone that people like and someone that people want to support. Um, so it's about being truthful. It's about being um, showing who you are. I think the best things you can do with Kickstarter campaigns is make it very clear who are the creators because when it's just this like company doing something, people don't associate themselves with a company in the same way they associate themselves with, an, with a person. And it's not a 
do I want to give this company money? Because then I'm like, oh, well, I just want to buy a product from them. It's I want to give that person money because I think that person is great. Yeah, how big how big an audience does a like so so I have a business that I run that's um like meditation and relaxation um apps on the on the app store and we have a pretty big audience and we we're thinking about moving toward like a subscription model. In fact, in fact we've been working on it uh the last few months trying to build the the new the new product. Um and so we've toyed with the idea of doing Kickstarter and we do have a, a pretty good fan base. How, how big a fan base is is the right I, I don't know, like uh, you know what, what numbers are you looking at to be able to drive real, um, real funding? It, I mean, assuming your fans are pretty loyal, what, ten thousand, I mean, fifty thousand. Uh, it really depends on. I mean, it, it's just a math equation. You say you, and if you start with this is how many, this is how many fans, or this is how many customers, or this is how many people who support me. So you take that number, you take the number, and you can do some, you know, validation and ask those people and say. How many of you would would participate, or how essentially how many of you would would give this thing money? You know, how many people would do that? Especially if they are your audience, you should be able to have a channel to them to ask them that question. And you kind of take what they say and maybe cut the number they give you in half because a lot of people say they'll give you money, but when it actually comes down to it, they won't. So you say, okay, this many people said they're going to do this. Um, Cut that number in half, Um, and especially if you ask them, like, if you did any sort of, you know research around how much are they willing to give, how much, you know, how much are they able to give, then you cut that number down and then that's your math, right? And and the way that I say it is, especially, you know, if you have an audience and you're trying to launch a campaign, you need to have at least 25 to 30% of your campaign's money committed beforehand. Hmm. So you know that when you hit launch, you have at least 25 to 30%, although some depending on the size and the risk of the campaign, I might say more like committed that really? you have those people who, who on day one will give you 25 to 30%. And the reason is momentum in crowdfunding. It's a crowd. It's a mob, like it's mob mentality. And you know what you need to manage a mob mentality and, and to get it going the way you want it. You need to seed it. You need to drive it in the direction you want. And the only way you're going to do that is by owning the first chunk hmm. that if you create the momentum of the 20, like if, if on day one, you see a campaign that is already like 30% funded. You're like, oh, crap, they launched two hours ago and they're 30% funded. I need to get on this bandwagon is what people say versus on the first day of a campaign it launches and it has like 1%. And they're saying, and I'll just like see where this goes. You know. And they say, I'll see where this goes. It's the same way that imagine a giant mob running down the street all going, free ice cream, free ice cream. <laughs> you know, Imagine that versus like three people running down the street saying free ice cream. One of them so- you are going to be like, I'm going to see if they have ice cream when they come back. The other one is I need to get it in this mob because otherwise I'm going to miss out on this free ice cream. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great tip. I don't think most people realize that. That so so if you're looking to launch a campaign, you have to do the pre-campaign, which is so it sounds like the process is reach out to all the people that are already your fans or the people that are in your community and get them queued up and get get a sense of what they're willing to do and then try to get them fired up and ready to to, to pledge on day 1. Totally, and that's you know any especially the the campaigns that have good good fan bases. Mm-hmm. The fan bases were fully aware the thing was coming. It wasn't like, like they, they launched and then sent the email out and said, "Hey, by the way, we've got this Kickstarter that just happened. You got to like prime the pump." Exactly. So these so, so most of these campaigns, all the fans, all the people who care about the product already, or they care about the brand or or whatever, they all know it's coming and they're all ready to click the the like the go now button. Mm-hmm. Like that's and and it's a lot of communication to get people to 
to know it's coming and to be ready and prepared. And they need to also, you need to have this pre-information because they already need to be bought in so that they don't, you know, as soon as the, the campaign launches, you say, click the, click the button now instead of them vetting it and saying, oh, is this something I really want? Like, they should have already decided before, before they've seen the, the, the final Kickstarter page. That's a great tip. Any other uh, any other parting thoughts before we wrap up? Any, any other like um, kind of uh, high level tips for folks that are looking to launch a campaign? Any advice uh, as we as we head out? I mean, there's a million moving pieces. It is a lot of work, but I think um, kind of you hit on it earlier in your conversation about building your own products. Like it, it seems like a distraction. It seems like it's a lot of work. But what it is is customer validation, and especially if you're building something that you want to sell to people or to give to people in some way, it is well worth the energy because you will find out if people want your thing and or you'll find out if they understand what it is that you're providing and you'll get feedback as to whether or not they understand what it is you're providing and you'll be able to make those changes before you've gone off and built something because if you go into a room and build something, and then come up with a marketing plan, but don't ever check with people on that stuff, the chances you're going to nail it are very low versus you go out and you get a lot of feedback from a lot of people and see if people understand what you're doing. And I think that's the power of Kickstarter and crowdfunding. Fantastic. And so how can people reach out to you? You, you do Kickstarter, Kickstarter consulting. Uh, if people wanted to t- touch bases with you or reach out, how can they get in touch? Uh, they can just reach me at... Um, my email address, ForrestGibson at Gmail. Um, you can check out some of the stuff I've done on my website, ForrestGibson.com. You can tweet at me at ForrestGibson at Twitter. Pretty consistent. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's uh, Forrest with one R. One R. Uh, fantastic. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to have you back on another time. This this is a topic that isn't going away, so um, maybe we could revisit it at some point in the future. And um, thanks for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show, Forrest. Yeah, and thanks everybody for listening. We'll all see you next week.